Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I'm joined this week by best-selling author of The Membership Economy, Robbie Kelman-Baxter. We're going to be discussing her new book, The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave, which was released in April 2020. She coined the popular business term, membership economy, which is now part of the business lexicon. Her clients have included Netflix, The Wall Street Journal, and Microsoft, as well as dozens of venture-backed companies. We're going to discuss the greatest misconception when it comes to building a forever transaction, what it means to create and deliver a forever promise, and the most overlooked parts of building the forever transaction for your customers. Here's my discussion with Robbie Kelman-Baxter. Robbie Baxter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ian. You know what? I, I So I, in, in, in reading your book, I was really fascinated this idea of the for, forever transaction. But before we get into that, can you share with our audience something that people may not know about you? I studied poetry in college. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? So, so if all of your answers are in the form of a haiku, it's not a coincidence. Oh, you would be so lucky if I could be that succinct. I would love to be that succinct. It would be more like uh, sonnets or... Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But at least, but at, least we, at least we know. But now, now there's going to be a challenge at the end that says, so how would you encapsulate the entire book in, in a haiku or in a, in a sonnet or in a limerick? <laughs> so what, what, I, what I wanted to get your insight into is this whole notion of the forever transaction and a lot of times people think it's one thing versus another. What's the greatest misconception that you see that people have about recurring revenue relationships? Um, that you can have recurring revenue without the relationship. I think that's the biggest misconception. Uh, you see a lot of, I see a lot of times, you know, everybody wants to do subscription right now. Everybody wants that recurring revenue and what I see a lot of people do and a lot of companies do is they take the existing products and services that they have and the existing processes that they have and they slap on some subscription pricing and they figure they're ready to go. So, so give me an example. What do you mean by that? And because what I want to do is I want to focus on what people aren't doing right and then we'll talk about how they should be thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. So if you're a software company uh, and you have an enterprise software product. Uh, you start selling that as a subscription without re-architecting the software for SaaS, for software as a service. Uh, you start selling your enterprise software uh, as a subscription without uh, changing from customer support to customer success. Um, if you have a subscription business model, it's not as it's not just important that they buy your product; they have to use it. Otherwise, they're going to cancel. So it becomes your responsibility to engage them and retain them. So if you, if you look at each part of the business model and each, each functional area, everything needs to change. Uh, you could, you could see the same thing. A lot of, um, companies that have content. Uh, so these are publishers, uh, content creators. They want to have a subscription. They say, okay, we're going to provide, uh, subscription access to our catalog of content. And you look at the content and you say, well, the content that you happen to have lying around isn't all for the same type of person. And some of it's really old and not very useful and no one's going to use it. 
And actually, you don't have that big a quantity to, you know, I could read everything in your uh, catalog in a week. So what makes you think I'm going to stay for months or years? So those are a couple of examples of doing it the wrong way. I, I, I love it. So, and, and there were so many things that as I was reading your book, tie into messages that, that I preach in the world of same side selling, which is you've got to focus with your clients on results, not the transaction. So it's not about the sale. It's about how are they going to measure the success? How are you going to ensure they actually get the results? And when that happens, you have a client, we've got a longstanding relationship that's around repeat referral business. If they buy stuff and you deliver what you said, but they don't get the results they want, they're not going to be satisfied. So how does that tie in to the forever transaction? Yeah, I think, Ian, you and I are are totally simpatico. Um, the concept of same-side selling is very aligned with, you know, my, my ideas around building a forever transaction. It's this idea that if instead of designing products or services um, and loving your products and services, you focus on what can you do to solve your customer's problem and help your customer achieve their goal on an ongoing basis. So many of us have, you know, problems or goals that don't go away, and yet the products are being sold as a moment in time. So yeah. if, you know, if as an organization, you can focus on that, on that goal and use that, your customer's goal as your North Star, suddenly you have all of this inspiration about what else you can add, how to layer in value, and your customer can put on their member hat and stop looking for alternatives. Yep. Love it. So, so the idea is that all of a sudden now, we're, since we're focused right with them on what the results are and we're ensuring we're delivering that, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden they're saying, wow, this person's serving my needs so well, and they're anticipating my needs. And yes. you know, one of the things that I often look at is sometimes I see businesses that create a static product and then they try and sell it on a subscription basis. So help our audience understand why that doesn't work. Yeah, because the the customer is changing over time. Their needs are changing over time and also their options are changing over time. So, um, you know, I I did some work early on with Netflix um, and, you know, their forever promise is uh, a catalog of professionally created content, video content delivered with cost certainty in the most efficient way possible. So that's what they did 15 years ago. That's what they're still doing today. But how they do that has evolved. If they had just stuck with this catalog of content that they had 15 years ago, delivered with DVDs, um, you know, most of us subscribers would have left because we would have said, okay, I've seen everything I want to see. Um, DVDs are not the way I like my content anymore. Uh, we might have liked it if they left the old pricing, but you know, those things have to change and it's still the most efficient way possible, but now we get it, um, streamed, uh, through our smart TV, um, on our phones, uh, through our kids gaming consoles and they create their own content now. So they've continued to evolve the way they deliver to stay true to the promise that they made to me. And that's yeah. why I stay with them. I, I love that. And, and in the book, you mentioned this idea of the forever promise. So help people yeah. understand that concept because I think it's brilliant. Thanks. Well, it's the idea that, you know, what are you doing to justify the recurring revenue? Um, what is the promise that you make that says you keep paying me on a regular basis without 
you know, without reconsidering. And in exchange, I promise, I, the company promise that I will solve your problem forever. I will help you achieve your goal forever. Um, funny kind of side story. Uh, one of the companies I interviewed for my first book, LinkedIn, which is a company I love and I do a lot of work for, um, you know, the team that started LinkedIn, before they started LinkedIn, they had another company called SocialNet. Same, and they're very, they're very forever promise oriented, these guys, and they really think long term. But SocialNet was a dating site. So they put all of this effort, you, you know where this is going, they put all of this effort into creating a membership that was really credible and really trustworthy and would make you want to stay forever. But then people would find their soulmate after about six months or less yeah. and then leave. And frankly, you didn't want them to stay because, you know, you don't want somebody who's found their soulmate in your dating pool. So they said, the next time we get a company, we're going to make sure that forever is closer to be, you know, forever. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. It's like, we want you to be a member forever, but I found somebody. And then what's their their answer? Well, maybe you'll find someone better. No, that's not a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) You can't give that as your explanation. Well, you know, just in case. Just in case, you know, it's, you know, I'd be, I'd be petrified if my wife was, uh, had access to that site. She might realize, look, she doesn't have such a good thing anymore. <laughs> right. She has a forever transaction with you, right? She doesn't exactly. need another one. Exactly. I remember, I remember my, when my mother was alive, my mother told her, look, after 50 years, you get to renegotiate all the terms. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife's anxiously waiting for that. We're almost halfway through. So we'll, um, oh, nice. we'll see, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I, in my bio, it's, it says at the end, and he has two children, a dog, and a wife he doesn't deserve. So I still, I still stand oh. by that. <laughs> um, and so one of, one of the things I want to, I want to, I want to discuss with you, and I want to, I want to use this same side selling academy that we've produced as, as an example of what to do and what not to do. So, and and I'm totally okay with you ripping apart whatever we're doing because I'm all about being transparent. So if there's stuff that you say, ooh, Ian, that's a bad idea, my guess is we'll end up changing it because we're constantly looking to improve it. And the idea is that in this subscription model for us, there are different components to it. So there's, there's content, there's new content that comes out every single month. We have outside experts beyond that. And we have a monthly what we call coaches corner call that is answering questions that people have, recording that, and then we produce that down into additional video segments that we then share as part of the academy. So what are we what what on the surface are we getting wrong? Or more importantly, what should we be looking at in terms of creating opportunities and value for our audience and our members? Okay. Who's your best member? Um, our best members are people who are either in sales leadership, sales roles who are trying to improve their ability to genuinely connect with their customers and drive better results. So they're constantly facing new challenges and new questions that come up. For example, we have a course right now called, um, called Growth in Crisis. So it's, what do you need to do for growth in crisis? And we offer that for free because the first lesson we give people is during a crisis, you should be helpful, not opportunistic. So I thought it'd be kind of cynical to charge for that course. <laughs> so it's something that, that we offered for free that people can access. And so it's something that, you know, for anybody that listens to podcasts, they, they get a code that says, here's the way you can access this for free. Um, but, you know, for us, it was a matter of, okay, we need core content that helps people build skills. We need little bite-sized pieces of content that will help people who don't necessarily have answers to key questions and challenges that come up. 
And then we need to have a constant flow of new content that makes it so that each month someone doesn't say, oh, I've seen everything. But instead they say, wow, the library grew again. Oh, here's an outside expert in this topic who I hadn't thought of that goes even beyond Ian. And the idea is just creating this this wealth of information and then organizing it in a way so they can get to whatever they want. So literally somebody could on their phone search for, gee, I'm about to meet with a, with a potential client and I know they have an existing vendor. They can search the, in the, in the Academy for existing vendor and find the related piece of information and watch that three minute video to better prepare them for that meeting. Yeah. So, so here's, here's some of the things that I would be thinking about if I were, if I were in your shoes. Okay. Um, number one, I would be thinking as, as honestly as I could about how long you think um, the ideal lifetime relationship is with you. And, um, you know, you brought up the point of, you know, what if you have a small amount of content, but you're trying to get somebody to subscribe forever. Um, something that I've seen with a lot of organizations that, that aim to help people thrive in their careers is that the information skews, let's say, to getting started. So you, 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 it's really, really helpful at the beginning. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, I get this. And then you say to yourself, wow, I'm the smartest person in the community besides the host. Yeah, then you don't want to the be mo- there. Yeah. <laughs> and then you don't want to be there anymore because you all, you know, um, I, I uh, have taught, uh, this is kind of a side thing that I do more of as a passion project. Um, I run workshops for people who want to get started in consulting that have gone to top business schools. So I've done it at, I've done it at Harvard and I've done it at Stanford and I've done it at Berkeley and I've done it at UT and a bunch of different places. And, um, some of the places invited me back and, uh, some, most of the, hopefully most of the places invited me back. Um, but, but one of the things that we talked about was, Hey, let's do something different. And so I decided to do a course called, um, uh, advanced strategies for the experienced consultant. And, at the same school, I had 150 people for the getting started in consulting workshop, and I had 390 people for the advanced strategies. Sure. Right? And the reason is that people want that cutting-edge content. Um, the beginners aspire to it, and the more senior people are like, well, I'm not going to stay unless I feel like I'm being challenged and I'm growing. Um so having that journey really clearly mapped out for you to sort of say, okay, when someone comes in, um, these are the things they usually need. And part of that, of what they're going to need from you is, um, you know, I'm a beginner in the world of sales or I'm a beginner in, yep. you know, and then there's also, I'm a beginner in, in the same side selling, you know, uh, point of view. And so, you know, you want to have a beginning thing. Yeah, for both. And then you want to go, go through it. And then the last thing I'll say, which I think you're already doing, is you want to think about a lot of different ways of packaging the value. Same value, but different ways. So that can be, like you said, you know, video, audio, print, um, live. It can also be, you know, some people are going to want coaching from you. Other people are going to want peer coaching. Um, other people are going to want to stay anonymous. So yep. you want to give them different ways to go, you know, deeper and also, you know, different ways to access. So those yeah. are those are some of the things that you're probably already doing. Have you joined the Same Side Selling Academy yet? Right now, get a free preview and free access to the three-part course, Growth During a Crisis. It comes complete with worksheets, quizzes, and Q&A with me. Just visit samesideselling.com slash podcast and enter the code SAMESIDE1. No strings attached. Yeah, that's that's great. And I and and candidly, I didn't I didn't envision us talking about 
uh, about our academy, but I was thinking like, gee, I want to, I want to take a dive on an example. And then I'm thinking, well, she's going to ask questions that I'm not going to know the answer about if it's some arbitrary platform. So we may as well use ours because it's a membership site. And it's interesting because initially our clients are enterprise customers who already know my content and said, Mm -hmm. Oh, we need to get this for everybody to reinforce what they already know. And it's interesting because the way we've structured right now is here are the core lessons, which is for people who need to either be reminded of or onboard into the concept. Here are the advanced concepts in a section we call the objection clinics. Then we're building out specific components that are, gee, if you sell services or professional, if you're in a professional service, like an accountant, an attorney, et cetera, how is that different? If you sell financial services so that we recognize the differences in each of those. And then it was, okay, in the coach's corner, you can submit your questions through this interface and I'll address those each month. And if you want to role play it, you just say, oh, and I'd love to be able to role play that. And then I'll bring you on a Zoom call and we'll role play it live. So each month it's different. And then we transcribe every single episode. So it's all full text searchable. And we don't just take, here's an hour long segment and you go find it. We break that into usable modules yeah. and full text index it. But it's, it's fascinating because people said, wow, it's a lot of work. And I said, well, I just look at it as if I'm the customer of this, I don't want to have to figure out what I should look at. And like at minute 39 is what I needed. I want someone to go through the effort to tailor it for me so that I can be more efficient. And just as we were doing it, it's funny, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, man, I wonder if, if Robbie's going to say, okay, this is on track or if, oh my God, Ian, this is a train wreck. And I'm open to either one. That <laughs> <laughs> no, sounds good. So, um, so what are some of the business areas that people do not think of as candidates for forever transactions where they say, oh, our business is different. We couldn't possibly do this. So, so five years ago, I wrote The Membership Economy, my first book. Yep. And the reason I wrote it, a, a big part of the reason I wrote it was that I was seeing this massive transformational trend um, that was happening that almost any industry, almost any business, any size, solopreneur up to, you know, the world's biggest companies, nonprofit, for-profit, venture-backed, bootstrapped, family-owned, closely held, everybody could, could apply these principles of focusing on the forever promise, justify recurring revenue, and enjoy all kinds of benefits, right? Predictability of cash flow, um, great data to continue to iterate on your product roadmap, uh, much better valuations in the public markets, five to seven times uh, what transactional businesses get. And, you know, I I wrote this because I was trying, because people didn't believe that it was relevant for them. And now five years later, everybody gets it. Everybody wants to do subscriptions. And in fact, if you, just as an experiment, the next time you meet somebody and they work in a business or run a business, ask them if they've ever done anything with subscriptions. And I'm pretty sure the answer will be yes. We tried it. We're we're thinking about it. We did it and it didn't work. Um, Yes, it's a big part of our business and growing. Everybody's doing it. Um, And the cool kids are doing it. Oh, some of the uncool kids. Burger King's doing it. Right. I mean, I love, you know, I love Burger King, but not, you know, if you had told me five years ago that Burger King was going to be a subscription business, I would never have believed it. Um, you know, Caterpillar, the uh, heavy equipment company. Really? They're, yeah, they've actually, um, their leadership has actually publicly said that they're moving away from selling machines 
and toward subscribing to services. Oh, almost so, more like almost more like you're leasing the equipment, and then every so many years you get new equipment, and you just pay a flat monthly fee or something like that. Or, or, or even more than that, you know, the kind of old Rolls Royce concept of power by the hour. So instead of paying for the equipment, you're paying for the number of minutes you've used it, or even the number of acres plowed or dirt removed. Um, because again, back to your point of trying to get as close as you can to what the customer's outcomes are, what the desired outcomes are. I don't buy a crane to have a crane, yeah. right? I buy a crane to, you know, lift, I don't even know what they do, to lift heavy equipment up to the, you know, the third story for the, the building process. So that's what I care about. I don't buy the crusher to have a crusher. I buy it because I have big rocks that I need to break down so that I can continue with my project. And let's, and let's face it, the person who is doing 10 times the volume may not be willing to pay 10 times as much, but it was probably sees that product worth twice what the person who's doing one-tenth of it does or some multiple. So if you're charging based on some level, I think that in many businesses, it can't be linear. So, you know, the, the, that model often becomes a challenge and it's fascinating. I, I love the fact mostly because it made me feel good about a decision we made in the, in the, in this same side selling Academy is how hey, you said, well, some people want it this way. Some people want it that way. So for individual users, it's look, here's the coach's corner we do every month for larger businesses. We give them the option that says, look, and if you don't want to be part of the group coach's corner and you want to have just your own, then there's a licensing model where you, where your members in your organization participate just with me in that separate group. And you're not part of the overall group. It's your choice as to whether, you know, if you want to keep it like you're okay to share internally, but you don't want to share externally, you can subscribe to that model. And then you get kind of that individualized coaching for your team. And it's something that, you know, when I did it, I was like, well, I think people would want this and people seem to want it. And now it's become very popular, but it's just, you know, I guess we'd rather be lucky than good. But as I said, as I was reading your book, I'm like, okay, I think, I think we made the right decision here. And I wish I had read your book before we started this because we had all sorts of really stupid models and it wasn't for bad intent. It was just, we thought, well, this would make sense. And it was just way too confusing. So when people are going to these models, how important is it for it to be simple and understandable? Yeah, it's, um, it's really, I'm glad you brought it up. It, it may be very complicated for the company, but it needs to be simple for the customer. The, the more complex your pricing is, the more your prospects and customers have to become experts on your pricing model. And the more work they have to do to understand how you're pricing, the less they're going to trust you. Um, so these are, this is the issue that, you know, you see with airlines, right? You're like, wait, I, I just went to New York last week. Last week it was $385. And this week, the same flight is $970 because it's on a Thursday because why? And as a result of that, it, it separate, you know, the whole point of the membership economy is that you feel, you know, to quote a wise man, like you're on the same side and, <laughs> The minute you start having complicated pricing, you are back in an adversarial role. They have taken off their member hat. They've put on their consumer hat and they're like, all right, let's negotiate. Let's, yep. let's talk tough. And you really, the, the whole value is in having the trust of your customer so that you can continue to iterate and innovate to provide them with new value. And they don't have to worry. It's like that feeling when you walk into a restaurant and you're like, you know, either bring me the usual 
or um, bring me whatever you got that's good, right? Yeah. If you trust the cook, you're like, if you're worried that he's going to bring you, I don't know, oysters and caviar and give you a $300 tab when you were expecting, you know, something in the burgers and fries range, you know, you're, you're not going to ever have that level of trust with them. But if there's a trust there and you kind of know, you know, that he's going to charge you a fair price, he's not going to take advantage of you, you can just relax. You can relax into it and you can worry about other things. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because for, the, for our larger clients, they would say, well, so we have a sales organization that's 100 people. But then we also want to use this for onboarding for every employee so they all get the same language. So, so how, how, do we, how, how does that price? And I said, well, how's this? What if we license it for the 100 users? And then we have a percentage fee increase that you pay and it covers everybody else. And that way it's just, you're going to pay 20% more, but now you can use it across everybody. And they said, oh, that's perfect. And, and, yeah, our, and, and yeah. our parameter in the license just says, look, if your actual number of users varies by more than 10%, then we adjust. Otherwise, we don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's okay. That, that's starting to get kind of complicated from my perspective. Okay. Um, just, just because, and, and it may be work. if it's working great for you, then, then great. But if, if you know, for, or for people who are listening and thinking about their models, um, the more variance that you have, the more they're kind of thinking in their head, like, okay, well, if we, if we're paying that much, if we hit this ceiling, then we don't, maybe we have to think hard before we, you know, let the other people have access. Yeah. And what you really want to do, like the best practice is you want to say, this is my client. This is their goal. I'm going to do everything in my power to help them achieve their goal. And I don't want them to be worrying about the meter Yeah, that, you know, if they do something, if they hit a certain number, you know, when you're, you know, I, I travel, I do a lot of keynote speaking and I have a lot of clients all over the world. And so sometimes I'll find myself, you know, I try to get a car service in advance, but sometimes I find myself hopping into a cab, right. And you're driving along and you're watching the meter go. And then you cross like a tiny, tiny little bridge and suddenly there's an extra $5. And you're like, wait, what just happened there? And then, you know, they're like, do you mind, you know, do you mind if we take the expressway? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not from here. Take whatever you think is right. And then you learn that like, take the expressway means that they can charge you another $3, Yeah. right? That there's some kind of extra fee that, you know, and, you know, so there's, I think when you have a model that's kind of an algorithmic model, like if you hit this, then you get that and this many seats and that, yeah. sometimes it's impossible to do anything simpler. But once you really understand the behaviors of your customers, it's great if you can come up with a fixed price or a, or a simpler pricing model. So, you know, you think about like if you opened a buffet, like a Vegas style restaurant yep. buffet, right? At the beginning, anytime somebody goes from having a la carte to buffet, of course, their fear is you know, only the people that eat huge quantities of oysters and caviar are going to come to my buffet, right? Um, but then when they watch people come through after a while, they realize like, okay, for, you know, any group of people that come in, there's an oyster and caviar guy, but there's also the spaghetti person. Yeah. And there's also the person that's just going to have a cup of coffee and enjoy the company and the, the company's paying for the bill. And you say, oh, so net net, I'm making a profit on everybody, yep. even though, and and I'm willing to forego the revenue of those few people that are getting more value than, than they're paying for to keep it simple. Yeah. And you know what, we'll have to, we'll have to revisit that. It's great. It's great insight because for me, I looked at it as, okay, so if you have 50 salespeople and you have a hundred other people and I charge you nominally just to cover the additional hundred people, 
what we were saying to them is, look, the real value is in those 50 people and you want everyone else to have the language. So if the 50 users grows to 70 users, you wouldn't expect to pay the same thing, but we really don't care if you're building the language for everybody else. We just want to make sure that it doesn't become, hey, you signed up for 50 and now you have 500. Then it becomes you know a little bit more manageable, but we're always trying to make it simple. And yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes we make it so simple that it becomes complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are the one or two things that people should really be thinking about? If, if you said, I mean, obviously, I highly recommend the book for people. I think it gives them great insight. What are the first couple of things that people should do if they don't have a subscription model now that they should think yeah. about in terms of building that forever transaction? Yeah. So you don't even need to have a, have subscription pricing to have a forever transaction. If you think about Apple, for example, the, the, um, sure. the hardware and, and software company, uh, and services company, you know, historically they were a hardware company. Um, so you didn't have a subscription at all. Um, but there were a lot of people that had a forever transaction with Apple and you could tell right. because they'd walk into the Apple store and say, what do I need to buy? Right. Uh, what kind of printer should I get? Because I have to get it, you know, they don't make printers. Tell me what printer to get and I will get it. Um, you know, the level of trust and commitment, you know, there's people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to buy that product because I only buy from Apple because all the Apple products work together and that's their forever promise. Buy from us and everything works beautifully. Um, so you don't have to have subscription pricing. The thing that you have to have first is that forever promise. So take a step back, whatever business you're in, and say, who's my best customer in contrast to my not best customer? Not in contrast to my worst customer, yep. but you know, you have two customers, they're both fine. And one of them is one where you're like, I love this customer because usually it's because because they trust me, because they have a lot of needs, they expect a lot from me, and when I deliver, they're willing to pay. Um, yep. So who are my best customers versus the not best? And how can I optimize everything I do in the future around making sure that my best customers achieve their goals? And, and then at some point, you can throw in your, your subscription pricing if you want, but that's a really good place to start. You know what? I love it. So what's the, what's the best way, Robbie, for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm super easy to find, uh, RobbieKelmanBaxter.com, uh, or if you type in the name of the book, The Forever Transaction, you know, that'll get you to my site as well, and that'll get you access to, to all kinds of information. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can, you know, I'm very active there. I'm a, I'm a LinkedIn instructor, so I have a bunch of courses and stuff there, um, or on any social media platform, pretty much. Very that's, easy to find. That's where we will include all that in the show notes, and Robbie, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Robbie is a wealth of knowledge about recurring revenue and subscription-based offerings. Here are three key takeaways you can use and apply right away. First, you can't have a recurring revenue model without a relationship. So the forever transaction requires looking well beyond the transaction itself. Second, focus on solving problems and delivering customer success. It's not about just satisfying customers. And finally, realize that your clients' needs change over time, and you need to stay focused on delivering ongoing value for them. Thanks for taking the time to share this show and post reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.